morning, Big Trey. Good morning. Hey, everybody stand up. I'm going to pray before bringing the Word of God. Can I say it's so, so good to be here with my friends, Pastor Ron and Pastor Lynette. I'm so happy that you're here. What a surprise. But anyway, I want to say that I am just so, so excited to be here at my home church in Oklahoma. And, you know, I, I, I feel like one of my jobs, and I am an uncle in this house, okay? I'm not a guest speaker. For those of you who are new, I turned to Pastor Sharon this morning and I said, do you realize it was 25 years ago this year? the first time I came to Victory. And I remember when I came, I thought I have been to churches all over the country. This is on the cutting edge of what God is doing in this nation. Well, I can happily say 25 years later, it's still one of the cutting edge churches on this nation. I mean, the presence of God in the atmosphere during worship. And Ashley, I'm so grateful for your sensitivity and your boldness. Boy, you're a strong sister. I love that, okay? Just for you to confront, because I'm sitting there doing the worst service. I'm totally locked in, and, and I was struggling. I was a little everywhere. And when she came up, I thought, wow, thank you for addressing that. Amen? I'm telling you, the devil doesn't want you to receive from heaven because you become a threat to him. Amen? That's why the Bible says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee in stark terror from you. Amen? But I just want to say I'm so proud of Pastor Paul and Pastor Ashley. I love you guys so much. I mean, really, you're like a nephew and a niece to me, or a little brother and a little sister to me. I'm just so proud of the way you have taken the helm of this church and just steered it into even deeper waters in the spirit, being relevant and seeing so many people come to Jesus. Thank God for this couple. Amen. Amen. Our family is doing great. Uh, We keep getting more and more G-babies. I'm telling you what, uh, I'm more in love with Lisa today than the day I married her, and it just keeps going from glory to glory. And I'm I'm telling you, we had some pretty rocky years. Those of you who've been here, you know about it. You've heard us preach on marriage. And I gotta say, I love that girl more than the day I married her. And I believe, I have, this is my number one marriage goal. The day that she leaves this earth, she will be more in love with me than the day we got married. Amen, that's a good goal. Everybody say, that's a good goal. All right, that should be your goal, all right? But listen, I I have a burden. I want to get right into the Word of God this morning. It's not a message, it's a burden. And I will share it with you when we begin. But I want to believe, and I'm, I'm talking to you guys online, as well as all those that are in the room here. I want to believe that God will speak to you today. I could be the best communicator on the planet, But if the Holy Spirit doesn't anoint these words, we're just going to get information and it will make us religious. We need transformation. We need the Spirit of God to speak to us. Amen? And so I want every one of you, whether online or in this building, that you receive from God today. All right? So can we do that? The Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. So we're going to ask God for that. Amen? How many of you believe He can change your life in one service? Let's put up the other hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you as a people that love you deeply and dearly. We, are, we acknowledge that you are God Almighty, but we are so honored to call you our Father. This morning, we are asking, Holy Spirit, that you would do again what you love to do the most, glorify and exalt and honor Jesus in this place in a way like we've never seen him or known him before. And as you do this, may we go from glory to glory and faith to faith, for I do decree that your kingdom has come, your will shall be done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. And for this, we give you all the glory, the honor, the praise, and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, 
holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray. And everybody that agrees shouts. Come on, thank him. Amen. Thank him for what he's going to do. You can be seated. All right, I said, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to be sharing out of the newest book that I've written or called The Awe of God. It's been out now just over a year. I've never seen a book that I've written before explode like this one has, and I think it's because it is a message that God is speaking to the church right now. It is 42 short chapters. Uh, I think every chapter is six pages, except for two chapters are eight pages. So you can read a chapter a day for 42 days, which is six weeks, and it just so happens there's six sections, seven days. It's not a devotional, it is a book, okay? If you want a devotional, there's a brand new one that just came out last week called Everyday Courage, because in this crazy world we're living in, we need courage every day. That's a 50-day devotional, okay? So anyway, they're out there. I just, I'm only going to be able to touch about three chapters in this book today. And, and I think you're going to understand why this message is so important as the Holy Spirit ministers to us in the next few minutes. Um, how did this burden begin? It began because I discovered something that literally shocked me. But Barna did a, some research and they polled over 95,000 people. And what they discovered is that over 30 million, 30 million, okay, I'm not going to talk about that one. I'm going to go to the next one. Over 30 million people have walked away from the faith in the last 24 years, 30 million. They have gone from practicing Christians to non-practicing Christians, many of them being agnostic, atheists, and spiritualists. I mean, 30 million is one out of every 10 Americans, not one out of every 10 people who went to church, it's one out of every 10 Americans have literally walked away from the faith. I have a pastor friend who just, just recently said he had a couple come up to him in his church they had three sons. All three sons were called to ministry. They all went to universities, and they are all now all professing agnostics and atheists. All right, what's going on? Why are we losing so many people? I believe it is because of the absence of the true presence of God. The tangible, true presence of God is a very real part of Christianity. Jesus made a statement. He said, I will manifest myself to him. The word manifest means to reveal clearly. It means to bring the light. It's when God makes himself real to our mind, to our senses. That is a real aspect of Christianity. Because Thomas said, Jesus, how are you going to do this with us and not to the world? I mean, if you look at what Moses says, he says, God, it is your presence that separates Your people and I, from all the people that are on the face of the earth, the presence of God. David said, it's in your presence that I find fullness of joy. And what is our strength? It's the joy of the Lord. Why are people walking away from the faith? Because they don't have strength. In the day of adversity, if you faint, your strength is weak. So the question I ask is, why are people not experiencing the presence of God? It's not something that's just supposed to happen once every five years. We are supposed to walk in the manifest presence of God. Why aren't people experiencing the presence of God? It is because we are not actively pursuing holiness. Now, when I say the word holiness, people go, hold on, I don't like that word. I mean, literally, people will manifest sometimes if you use that word. Why don't we like the word? Let's just be honest. We have good reason not to like the word because there were mean-spirited legalistic preachers that beat us up. Can can I tell you, those mean-spirited legalistic preachers, they didn't even like people. You know, you got no business teaching the Bible if you don't like people. You should be teaching physics. 
But these, these guys, they didn't even like people. And they beat us up. They, they beat us up to control our behavior. That is not holiness. Then you got other people that when they hear the word holiness, they go, oh no, no, I don't want to hear about that. That will lead me to a dull, boring life. I love what C.S. Lewis says. C.S. Lewis makes this statement. He says that how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. So this is what I'm gonna talk about here this morning, the irresistible. You wanna hear about it? Now, we ran into a problem. Because we were so beat up by holiness, we actually went away from it. We stopped teaching it in the American church. But then some clever teachers came along and said, we really can't ignore this. I mean, it's all over the Bible. It's the number one predominant characteristic of God. I mean, when John the apostle sees the throne and Isaiah sees the throne, the angels aren't crying, faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God faithful? Yeah, you better believe it, but that's not his character that stands above all other characters. They're not crying, love, love, love. Is God love? Yes, you better believe he's love. He doesn't have love, he is love. But that's not his attribute that stands out above all others. They're crying, holy, holy, holy. And if you look at the only, the one and only description of the church, the bride, that Jesus is coming back for, it is a holy church without spot or wrinkle. So these teachers came together and they said, gosh, we got to talk about it. So they came up with a plan. And they said, we're going to teach people in America that Jesus is our holiness. Don't even think about it. Jesus, when you got saved, he's your holiness. Now, the problem with this is they're actually right. But it's not the full story. Because the New Testament talks about two different aspects of holiness. Number one is positional holiness. Okay, what do I mean by that? I'm gonna give you one scripture, there's plenty to, to look at, but here's one, Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. See, before the foundation of the world, before it was even created, God the Father looks at the Son and says, we're gonna create men, we know the end from the beginning because we're not bound by time. These guys are gonna mess up. Jesus, would you be willing, son, would you be willing to go die for them? The son said, dad, I'll do it. So God from the foundations of the world says, my son will come in, he will live spotless, he will live holy before me, and he will shed his blood, and that blood will purchase back my people, and that will set my people apart, and that will make them holy unto me. That is our positional holiness that we didn't earn, Jesus did it for us. You cannot live good enough to earn that position. But the Bible tells us that the marriage between a man and a woman in Ephesians 5 is actually an illustration of the way the church and Jesus are one. In other words, God has always used marriage imagery throughout the Bible to illustrate how to have an authentic relationship with him. So I'm going to use my marriage as an example. 42 years ago, October 2nd, Lisa Toscano, this wild Sicilian girl, walks down the aisle of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Lafayette, Indiana. And on that day, October 2nd, she became my wife. Now, I'm going to say this. Today, 42 years later, she is not more my wife than she was the day I married her. 
positionally. And she's not going to be more my wife 40 years from now. It was settled. She's my wife 42 years ago. And never more or never less from that day on. But before we got married, Lisa flirted with guys. She gave boys her phone number. She went out on dates with other guys. After we got married, she had a behavior now that matched her position. She stopped flirting with guys. She stopped going out on dates with guys. She got, stopped giving guys her number. She had a behavior that matched her position. Are you, are you seeing this? I would call that behavioral holiness. Peter talks about this. He says, live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. Now he's talking about a behavior that aligns with our position. So, the question we now must ask is what does holiness have to do with the presence of God? It has everything to do with the presence of God. Because we are told in Hebrews chapter 12, pursue. Everybody say pursue. Now, I wanna, I wanna stop and camp on this word right here. The word pursue in the original language means this, to chase after with the intent to apprehend. It speaks of intensity, it speaks of urgency. So think about this, chase after, with the intent to apprehend, with intensity and, purpose, and, 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 and urgency, holiness. Now let me ask the question, is he talking about positional holiness or behavioral holiness? It's gotta be behavioral. I mean, can you imagine Lisa going to a Bible study and saying to her girlfriends, hey girls, pray that I be John Bevere's wife. They'd all laugh her out of the room and say, you became his wife 42 years ago. But if she goes to that Bible study and says, pray that I would have the behavior befitting a wife of John Bevere, they would go, we can pray for that. So we know he's not talking about positional holiness. He's actually talking about behavioral holiness. Now look what he says, pursue behavioral holiness because without it, no man's gonna see the Lord. Stop right there. See the Lord. Everybody say, see the Lord. What is he talking about? Because Revelations 1.7 says, Behold, he shall come in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Every eye is going to see him at the judgment. What in the world is he talking about? Without holiness, without pursuing, I should say, holiness, you're not going to see the Lord. Well, let me give you an example. I am 65 years old this June. I feel like I'm 35. But anyway, in my 65 years, I've been under 13 United States presidents. Those men rule over my, have ruled over my life. Their decisions affect my life. I'm under their leadership. But I've never seen, S-E-E-N, a United States president. I've never been in the presence of a United States president. Now, there are other Americans they're his friends. They see him every day, some of them. But I've never seen a U.S. president. There are Christians. They are under the lordship of Jesus. His decisions are affecting their lives. Yet they're not in his presence. They're not seeing him. 
Why aren't they seeing him? Because they're not chasing after with the intent to apprehend holiness. And I'm gonna say something here. It doesn't say obtain holiness without which no man sees the Lord. It says chase after. Some of the most holy, godly people I know are the people that are more aware of their shortcomings than most people. Because the more you chase holiness, the more humble you become. If you chase holiness and you become proud and arrogant and you look down other pe- your nose at other people, you're not chasing holiness. You're chasing legalism. Good preaching, John. Amen. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to prove to you this has to do with Jesus' presence because I'm going to give you that scripture I quoted earlier. Look at John 14. This is out of the Amplified Bible. It's so good. Jesus, these, these words are in red. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And I will love him and I will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen. Everybody say seen. seen. By him and make myself real to him. See, Isaiah 45, verse 15, we are told, God, you are a God that hides yourself. God has on purpose hidden himself because he wants to see what we're going to be enamored by. The glories of this earth that are nothing, or if we will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus that's in our hearts. And the Bible says when we see the glory of Jesus in our hearts, we are transformed into that same image. So if you don't chase holiness, you don't get transformed. If you don't get transformed, you don't see him. And if you don't see him, you don't get transformed. Are you seeing the secular motion here? You become religious. Now, What we have done in the church in America is this, and I'm gonna go back to my marriage illustration. I have a marriage certificate from the state of Indiana. I got it 42 years ago when I married Lisa. It shows that I am legally married. She is legally my wife, I'm legally her husband. I could take that marriage certificate and hold it up and say, babe, babe, I am legally married to you. While I'm in jumping in bed with other women, Will I still be technically married? Yeah, maybe for a little while. Although, you know, she's a sharpshooter and she promised she would make it painless if I do. (laughs) But that's another story for another time. What will I lose if I do that? If I'm sleeping with other women, what will I lose? You know what I'm gonna lose? I'm gonna lose those times that our heads are on the pillow and she looks at me and she says something to me that she would never say to another human being. She's gonna share with me the secrets of her heart. I may be technically married, but if I'm jumping in bed with other women and committing adultery against her, guess what? I lose the intimacy with her. And I'm gonna tell you, she's not gonna allow her presence to be with me very much. Well, there are Christians or people that say, Jesus, I prayed the sinner's prayer, but they are sleeping with the world. They are adulterers. And what they are losing is intimacy. Because God says, when you seek me with all of your heart, I will show you things you don't know. And there are people that, 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 that they've learned how to be satisfied with a technical, maybe marriage license of a married to Jesus. In other words, are you getting the, the analogy? But they're jumping in bed with the world. James says, you seek a relationship with the world. He said this to Christians. You are an adulterer. Who are you committing adultery against? God. Are you with me? 
because we haven't stressed this. We haven't shown, see, see, the holiness legalist teachers, they made holiness an end to itself. It was like, come be in my holiness club. No, holiness isn't an end to itself. It's the doorway into something else, something really cool. It's called intimacy with God. The reason I don't want to commit adultery against Jesus is I don't want to lose those times when he whispers those secrets in my heart that I've never seen before. People ask me all the time, they say, how in the world have you written 24 books? Hello, this is it. I don't want to commit adultery because I don't want to lose that. See, when you understand that there is a greater goal here, then all of a sudden the emphasis gets off the lifestyle, off the doorway, and it gets onto, I want to be intimate. So the reason I don't want to jump in bed with the world is the same reason I don't want to jump in bed with another woman is because I don't want to lose this intimacy. Because this is what we cry out for. This is, God put eternity in your heart. You're sitting there and you're thinking, I'm gonna find, I'm gonna find the satisfaction from pornography, from, from substance abuse, from, from professional sports or whatever it is. And you're looking and you're going, why is it that I'm just not fulfilled? It's because you were created for intimacy with God. Peter said he called us to himself. God said to Moses, the whole reason I delivered Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, out of the world, was to bring them to me. I made them to be my priests. In other words, they can come to me for themselves or anyone else. I want to have intimacy with them like I do with you. Now, Paul the Apostle makes this amazing statement. He says in 2 Corinthians 6.16, as God says, I will live in them and walk among them. I... I just got to pause. Can I pause? We read these words and just skim right through them. Would you stop and think about what's being said here? I will live in you and I will dwell among you. Who is this? It's not a popular athlete. It's not a beautiful actor. It's not a great world ruler. It is God. This is the one who measured the universe with the span of his hand. He, he put the stars in their orbits with his fingers and called everyone by name. He's the one that weighed every drop of water in the palm of his hands. I remember when my boys, man, back when they were toddlers, 12 down to, to four years old, you know, Michael Jordan's winning all of his, 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 his championships, and I still think he's the best basketball player ever. I, I know you, you think LeBron scored 40,000. Great, good job, but you're not as good as Michael. But anyway... Um, <laughs> And I'm, I'm an athlete, but, but, but you know, I got fed up. I'm hearing about Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm fed up with Michael Jordan. And I remember we were preaching on the East Coast and my, my kids were with me, Lisa was with me, and the Atlantic was really stirred up. The, the church was right on the ocean. And I remember they were body surfing on Saturday morning and the waves were slamming my kids into the sand. They got sand in their mouth, their hair. I mean, it was hilarious, right? And so Lisa and I walked the kids up after they're utterly exhausted, and I thought, this is the perfect time for a dad talk. And I remember I said, hey kids, get the towels, wrap around you, I wanna have a dad talk. So Lisa gets them all gathered up. I open up the sliding door so they can hear the pounding surf, right? And I said, hey guys, that's pretty, pretty tough ocean out there, isn't it? Pretty, pretty strong, isn't it? They go, oh yeah, you know? I said, it's a pretty big ocean. I said, look out there, big. I said, yeah. I said, you know you can only see one mile out there? It goes another 4,000 miles. 
Here's another one on the other side. It's even bigger called Pacific. And there's two others beside that. I said, do you know God weighed every drop of that water in the palm of his hands? And I said, you're impressed because this guy can jump from the 15-foot line and put a ball through a hole, palm a ball, and put it through a hole. I go, whoa. I mean, they got it. You know what? They enjoyed. But he, he lost that place. See, this is what God has done. God has said, you got my glory that's revealed in Jesus' face in this earthen vessel. What's going to enamor you? ESPN? Social media? Or are you going to look inside? See, because Isaiah 45, verse 15 says, you are God who hides yourself. He hides himself to see what's going to turn you on. The glory of this world that is no glory in comparison to him, or if you're going to see his glory in your heart. Still with me? See, this is the one. You know, you know Isaiah, the most godly man in Israel. He has one glimpse of the Lord. He sees the angels crying holy and shaking a, an arena that seats over a billion beings. And they're crying holy. And shaking this whole arena to its foundations in heaven. And when Isaiah sees the Lord, he doesn't go, hey, dude, there he is. That's a man upstairs right there. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Are you kidding? He's on his face, and he cries out, woe is me. You know, it's interesting. He's a preacher of righteousness. One chapter earlier, woe to the wicked. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Woe to those who are drunkards, right? Now he sees one glimpse of God. It's no longer woe is the sinner. It's woe is me. For the first time in his life, he realizes who he is before this holy God. And for the first time in his life, he realizes who this holy God really is. And he's crying, woe is me, I am undone. Do you know what undone means? I am literally coming apart at the scenes. Job, God says about Job, there is no one on earth more righteous than Job. God says it. I would like that said about me by the Lord, wouldn't you? But yet Job says, the Lord appears to Job, and Job says, I've heard you by the hearing of the ear. I heard about you in church. Yeah, my pastor preached about you. Pastor Paul and Pastor Ashley preached about you. But now my eye sees you. I abhor myself. Oh, again, he's crying, woe is me. Because he realizes who God is. Amen. Moses has one glimpse of God. He says, so terrifying was the sight that I trembled with fear. John, the apostle, the closest one to Jesus, sees Jesus on the deserted island of Patmos. He said his face, his countenance was like the sun in all its strength, even brighter. And he said, when I saw him, I fell down like a dead man. God says, I will walk with them and live in them. Are we catching what's being said here? Okay, look at this. I will live in them. I actually put numbers on this because I want you to see these seven promises. I will live in them. I'll walk among them. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. There's four promises. He keeps going. And I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. There's seven promises that God makes. And then Paul immediately in the next verse, but the reason a lot of us don't get it is because it's the end of chapter six here. In the very next verse, seven, verse one, Paul says, because we have these seven promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Notice he doesn't say the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse you. <gasps> Pastor Paul. You're having somebody that says the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse me. No, 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 I never said that. 
What I am saying is don't you confuse the work of justification with the work of sanctification. There's a massive difference. Well, those are big words. What do they mean? The work of justification, that, that is what happened the day I gave my life to the Lordship of Jesus. At that very moment, the blood of Jesus cleansed me from all sin, made me white as snow, and I stand holy before God. And I will never be more holy. But in that very day, the work of sanctification began. What's sanctification? That's when what's done on the inside of me works its way to the outside where people can see it. That we have a part in. That we have to cooperate. That's why Paul says, cleanse ourselves. Not from some filthiness, all filthiness. Of the flesh and spirit. Notice it's both the flesh and spirit. What, 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 is, what is he saying? Flesh, he's talking about our outward actions. Spirit, he's talking about our intentions and our motives. Uh, let's just do the easy one first, the flesh. Because the, the intention one's a little bit more difficult. First Thessalonians says, God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. He who rejects this does not reject men, but God. It amazes me how many times I run into somebody and go, yeah, we were born again, and they're so excited. We were born again five years ago, and yeah, my fiance and I, we're living together until we got enough money to afford the wedding, and I'm just like, you, you just said both in the same breath like there's nothing to it. Are you kidding me? Are we not preaching Hebrews chapter 13, verse four? Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators, those who have sex outside of marriage and adulterers, God will judge. Are we, are we just, yeah, are we just, now I'm not throwing stones because I'm, I'm on the list. I was bound to, I got bound to pornography at 11 years old and I was bound when I was 25. And quit looking down your nose at people who are committing adultery and you're sitting there bound by pornography. Jesus said, you look at that woman to desire her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So don't look down your nose at somebody. So I'm on the list. And I got set free when I was 25 years old. May 6, 1985, I can remember the date. I remember the incident. I I remember, I remember I was on a live radio interview. (laughs) The Twin Cities in Minnesota. And I started talking about, I said, you know, 67, I started talking about many are going to say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you who practiced iniquity. He said, whoa, wait a minute. He said, John, 67% of the men that go to church regularly watch pornography regularly. So hold on, let's just take a step back here, okay? Can we just take one step back? Let me make sure I understand what you are saying right now. You are saying to me the blood of Jesus has enough power to free me from the penalty of sin, but what you're saying is the blood of Jesus does not have the power to cleanse me from the bondage of sin? Is that exactly right? And you're going, uh, 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 well, he saw the stupidity of what he was saying. I said, look, I was bound to pornography. It was a battle. And that's why I don't look down my nose at anybody that's in that battle. But I got free and I'm free today. And I've been free and I've been bound. And free is so much better. Well, honey, I know, I know. I, you, know you just gotta understand, you know, I'm just attracted to those women and 
I still want you to be intimate with me and I still want you to share your heart with me. But you know, I just, I got desires. I remember I'm, I'm in California last year and, and, and this guy comes up to me and he goes, uh, uh, Mr. Bevere, you know, I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm single and, you know, I just don't have the ability to, you know, to live in purity. I, I sleep with women and then I, I stop for a few months and then I just sleep with them again. But anyway, that's not what I want to talk to you about. What I want to talk to you about is why is my business not being blessed? And I thought, did I really just hear that? Did you really just say that to me? Are you that stupid? Or have we brainwashed you? and told you, don't worry about holiness. Don't even think about it. I don't want anybody worrying about it. I don't, but, 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 but the fact that we say, oh, God knows you got needs. Grace covers it all. You are denying people intimacy with the one they're crying out for. But they call it hate speech and we all get quiet. You know, there's two trees in the garden, right? You guys know two main trees. There's lots of trees, but there's two main trees. One's called the tree of life. You know what the tree of life is? I know my creator knows what makes me and what breaks me. So I'm gonna listen to my creator. Okay, let me give you an example of that. I have four sons when they were toddlers. Hey dads, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Christmas is a work day. They open up all the gifts and guess who's building all the gifts? It's dad, right? So I'm your typical dad. I rip open the box, throw the pieces on the floor, throw the box and the instruction manual over in the corner and I build the toy. I spend an hour building the toy. I'm finished, but there's still five pieces on the floor. I flip the switch, the thing doesn't work. What do I do? I go get the instruction manual, I deconstruct it and I built it the way the creator of the toy said to create it, to build it. And oh my gosh, I hit the switch and it works. God is my creator, he knows what makes me, he knows what breaks me. But then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is that? That is when I choose what is good for my life outside of what God says. It's called lawlessness. I am a law unto myself. The Bible doesn't say when she saw the tree was evil, it would make her wicked, she took it. It said when she saw the tree was good, it would make her wise. It's when I believe I know what's best for my life outside of the one who created me. Now, when you put a pair of jeans and a skirt in front of a 12-year-old and say, which one are you drawn to? You are saying, forget that you were fearfully and wonderfully made in your mother's womb. You're the one that chooses what's best for your life. It is a manifestation of lawlessness. And our society's going headlong into it. Because we got rid of the Bible, we got rid of prayer in our schools in the 1960s, and now we've got basically three generations later, 2020, and we are thinking we're gonna have any moral compass in our society? It's nuts. Professing to be wise, they profess to be wise, they're utter fools. Because they say, God, I know more of what's best for me than you do. But yet, why aren't we, the preachers, speaking this and helping people? Because what we're doing is we're giving them superficial treatment and we're whitewashing their Christian life with this untempered mortar. And when the storms of life come, they fall. And then they get mad at God. But it's the fact, you see, what's gonna get us in trouble in this nation? It's already gotten us in trouble. It's not what we're saying, it's what we're not saying. Paul said, if anybody suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. Go read it in Acts 20. It's not my fault because I didn't hold back sharing to you the whole counsel of God. It's not what we're saying. It's what we're not saying. It's what we're holding back. It's what we're assuming. Well, you know, we're on the journey. 
We're, we're, you know, we got to bring them on the journey. Jesus didn't do that with the rich young ruler. He said, you got an idol. You got something you love more than God. You got to choose idol or me. And the guy walked away sad. He was excited. Can you imagine? Matt, I'm going to give him a name, Matt. He's dating Sarah. They're deeply in love. Matt gets down on one knee, opens up the little box, says, Sarah, I want to be your husband. Will you marry me? Sarah squeals with delight. Ah, yes, 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 I will be your wife. Oh my gosh, we're going to have such a great life together. But you know, I dated Tony in high school. And, and we went steady for two years. I'd like a couple nights with him a year. And you know, Peter was my college uh, uh, sweetheart. I was actually pinned to him. So I would like a couple nights with him a year. But Matt, I will give you 360 nights a year. I just want th- five or six nights with Peter and Tony. Is there any, any young man in this nation that would go for that proposal? Yet here's Jesus, our groom. He agrees to empty himself, strip himself of all of his divine privileges, comes into this cursed world knowing that I will be mocked, I will be despised, I will be spit on, I will be punched in the face, I will be beaten so severely and whipped so severely that by the time I get to the cross, I won't even have the appearance of a human being. Our creator makes this decision See, Isaiah prophesied, said he didn't even have the appearance of a man by the time he gets to the cross. I'm going to do this knowing what I'm going to endure because I love my bride so much. So we think he's come back for a bride that says, let me jump in the bed with the world a few nights a year. You are so deceived. You're as deceived as Sarah who believes that Matt's going to marry her, giving I'll love you more than the Tony and Peter. I will love you more. You'll be my favorite. I, I, I will love you more. Forget it. I'm not marrying you. So my question is, these 30 million people that have walked away, did they ever really have a relationship with Jesus? You know, when you really meet Jesus, they can cut my head off before I'm going to turn from him before I'm going to walk away from him. You can take my head off. What about, what about our motives and intentions? <laughs> Cleansing ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Everybody say flesh and spirit. That's our motives. You know, Paul said our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Motives are driven by the people we want to please. Ananias and Sapphira, there is absolutely nothing with bringing millions up and putting it at the feet of Peter. That's a great thing. What they wanted to do was project themselves in the eyes of their fellow believers at church as being the biggest givers. See, we have our projected image, our perceived image, and our actual image. Show, show us. My perceived image, that's the way people see me. My projected image, that's the way I want people to perceive me. My actual image, that's the way I am before God, and that's the way I will be revealed at the judgment seat. 
Now, Jesus' perceived image wasn't that great by a lot of people. They thought he was demon-possessed. They thought he was a drunkard, a glutton. They thought he was a friend of sinners and tax collectors. But God said, his actual image, this is my beloved son, and I'm so well-pleased with him. Social media teaches us to project an image that probably isn't really true often. Living the dream, I'm with my babe, and yet we're fighting like crazy. We're on the verge of divorce, but boy, I'm living the dream on social media. She's my babe. We've literally been trained to project images. I want to project an image to the people. We fight like crazy at home, we come to church, and now we all lovey-dovey. You know, one of the most misused verses of scripture, the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? That is Old Testament. God said also in the Old Testament, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And we are told in the New Testament that our consciences are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. In other words, our heart is pure and it's our job to keep it pure. The last statement Paul made before he left this earth is I thank God I have served him all my life with a pure conscience. The moment we start projecting ourselves different than who we are, is the moment we start compromising our conscience. And our conscience is where God speaks to us, and this is why people aren't hearing his voice. Because we haven't told people to protect their conscience. And so what? I go to a university, the professor's cool, he tells me these things that are totally contrary from what I heard in church. I'm around my friends, yeah, this is a bunch of baloney. Because I've never experienced the presence of God. So we deny people the right to get into, not the right, I hate that word. We deny people the privilege of getting into the presence of God because we don't preach unholiness. And that's why C.S. Lewis said it's irresistible. It's not holiness in itself, it's what we get as a result of holiness. So now let's finish and I'll put a close on this. If you look at that scripture again in 2 Corinthians, because we have these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God it doesn't say in the love of God we perfect holiness in the fear of God I learned that when the famous evangelist that I was asked to visit in prison he was one of the most famous human beings on the planet 1994 all for the wrong reasons He had the largest television ministry in the world. I watched him cry as he preached all through the 80s. Everybody on the planet knew him because CNN covered his trial every single night. But yet he is convicted and sentenced for 45 years, reduced down to five years. Fourth year of his prison, I'd go see him because he had read a book I writ, wrote and he said I want, he wanted to meet me. I'd never met him before. He's 20, 25 years older than me. I walk in, he comes in with all of his prison garb. I'm, I'm looking at the most well-known human being on the planet. And he grabs me and he hugs me and he hugs me. He looks at me, he says, did you write this book? I said, yeah, yeah, I wrote it. And I remember he sits down and he looks at me and he says, John, this prison wasn't God's judgment on my life, it was his mercy. He said, if I continued living the way I was living, I would have ended up in hell, separated from God forever and ever. I'm like, oh my gosh, wow. Then he looks at me and he said, John, we spend three hours a day in the word of God. I thought, wow, if we could just get young people to do that. 57.5 hours a week on their screens. That's the uh, 15 to 25-year-olds. 
Secular study, not Christian. He said, we spend three hours a day in the Word. So when he gave me his whole story, he told me how Jesus came into his cell and delivered him from all the junk that was in his life, his first year of prison. And I'm just looking at this man with clear eyes, and I, I said to him, I said, hey, please tell me, I'm a young minister. When did you fall out of love with Jesus? How did it happen? He looked at me, he said, I didn't. I said, my, my walls all go up. I go, whoa, 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 whoa. You committed adultery, and I named the woman's name in 1983. You did all this stuff that you're in jail for those next seven years. You just told me you were wicked. What do you mean? You loved Jesus all the way through it. He goes, I didn't fear God. I said, what? He said, John, there's millions of Americans like me. They love Jesus, but they don't fear God. The fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God. It's actually being terrified of being away from him. It's when we embrace his heart. We love what he loves. We, we love what he loves. Listen, and we hate what he hates. It doesn't say we dislike what he hates. We abhor evil. Abhor means strong hatred. See, let me, let me relax your mind again. The legalist is the one that says, I fear God, that's why I hate those sinners. No, you don't fear God at all because you hate who he loves. God loves those, quote, sinners so much, he died for them. What he hates is the sin that unmakes them. So in the church, we have disliked sin. We have coddled sin. We have flirted with sin. We overlook it. See, Paul makes a statement in Philippians chapter two. I'll end it with this. He says, as you have obeyed always in my presence, but now much more in my absence. See, it's easy to obey God when you're in an atmosphere like this, but what about Wednesday night when you're surfing the web and you come across pornography? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, not love and kindness. Why fear and trembling? Because holiness is perfected in the fear of the Lord. This is why Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. He finished well, but what was his delight? His delight Show that for me, guys. Was Isaiah eleven three that he he feared the Lord? Can we can we see it, or did we lock up? The Bible tells us in Isaiah thirty three verse six that the fear of the Lord is God's treasure. What is it? His treasure? So would you stop and think about this? Lucifer led worship right before the glory of God. He didn't fear God. He didn't endure forever. A third of the angels beheld his glory. They didn't fear God. They didn't endure forever. Adam and Eve walked in the presence of his glory. They didn't fear God. They didn't endure in the garden forever. God's given us a treasured gift. It's what Jesus delighted in. It's called the holy fear of God. The love of God keeps me from legalism, but the fear of God keeps me from lawlessness. We need both. The love of God and the holy, healthy fear of God. Let me say this, and I'll close. God doesn't ask from us anything more than what a spouse asks of his husband or her wife, or his wife or her husband. I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed. Heavenly Father, I preach what you've commanded me to preach, and I thank you so much that you love us so much, Lord God. You'll you give us the truth that saves us from a perverted world. 
I pray, Holy Spirit, open up eyes, open up ears, open up hearts to receive the truth, to receive Jesus and be changed forever. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, basically, again, I'll go back to the marriage illustration. When a girl's walking down an aisle and she's got that white dress on, she's actually making a pretty bold statement. She's saying goodbye to about 3.9 billion guys. This is the one and only man I'm giving my entire life to. I want you to ask yourself a question. Did you make that decision that bride made before she ever walked down the aisle? That's called repentance. I know it's a biblical word. I'm trying to give it you in a way that you'll understand it. Repentance is simply this. Whatever God says, it's a priority for me. That's repentance. I've known what's good for me up till this point. Now I know God's my creator. He loves me. He died for me. I don't care what he says. I'm going to obey him. So the question I want to ask you right now is have you done what that bride does on her wedding day? Have you said, Jesus, you gave yourself fully for me. I'm now giving myself fully to you. Have you made that decision firmly in your heart? If you haven't, You might be one of those millions of Americans that have not just walked away from church, but you're still in church because you like the people, you're scared about hell, you want to go to heaven, you like the inspiration. But the question is, haven't you, have you given him your life the way a bride gives her life to that husband on her wedding day? If you haven't done it, you can do it this morning because I'm going to tell you something right now. Jesus' arms are outstretched and he's hopeful because God gave you a free will to choose and he will never violate your free choice. Never. But you have to choose. Let me tell you, the prodigal son made the choice and he didn't even say anything and his dad came running with gifts. That's how... How much... Jesus has his arms outstretched to you right now. So I want you to be honest with yourself. You can fool your wife or your husband sitting next to you, your friend sitting next to you. I'm gonna ask you, did you do what that bride does on her wedding day? If you haven't, you can do it right now. And I wanna give you an invitation. If you say, John, I have honestly not done that and I'm ready to give Jesus Christ my entire life as a bride does on her wedding day, I want you to raise your hand up high. I wanna pray for you this morning. Wow, look at the hands going up. Put them up. Don't look at the hands. Keep your heads bowed. Put put them up high. No bride's ever been ashamed of her groom. I've never seen a bride ashamed of her groom. Put your hand up high if that's you. Now, if your hand's in the air, I want you to stand to your feet because I want to pray for you this morning. This is a great day for you. Just stand to your feet. Stand as fast as possible. Now, there are some of you right now, you're sitting and you want to be standing. Can you ask yourself the question, why am I still sitting? I know that I have not done what a bride does. Are you, are you saying that I want to play Russian roulette with my own soul? If, if that's true, I, God respects that. I respect that. I will not force you to make a decision. But I do want you to ask the, yourself the question, why am I not responding? Okay, more people have stood. Yes, sir, you were worth the wait. Anybody else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. I'm just going to give you another. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I see you. You're worth the wait. Every single one of you. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, yes, ma'am. Yes, yes, ma'am. Anyone else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. All right, now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 
Give back the promise rings. Break up with whatever it is that God has addressed you. Whatever boyfriends you had that you were secretly flirting with, break up with them right now. That doesn't mean, listen, Lisa wasn't perfect the first day or week or year or 50 years of our marriage, but she did give me her entire heart. So in your heart, I want you to break up with those boyfriends right now. Whatever it is that God's dealt with you about that was keeping you from giving your entire life to him the way he gave it to you. I want you to break up with him right now at your seat. And I want you to slip out in the aisle and I want you to come on down and I want everybody else to give him a big hand because I want to pray for you. Come on, slip out in the aisle. Come on down. Come on down. Give him a big hand. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come all the way down, all the way down here. Come on. I'll, hey, ushers, help them. I want everybody to come down here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come close. I'm so proud of you, and I'm so proud of you. Come on, come close. Really, really close. Come all the way up the stairs. Come on. I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of okay. Hey, I'm proud of you, sir. Come on, come on, give him a hand. I'm so proud of you. Hey, ushers, ushers, let him come all the way in. Let him come all the way in. Come on now, all the way in. Come on, guys. Come on, come on, come on. I'm so proud of you. Come on up here. There's a lot of room up here. You got a lot of people behind you. Come on. Come on. I'm so proud of you guys. So proud of you. I'm so proud of you and you, sir. Come on. I don't want to pat a cake. I want you to really give him a hand. I'm so proud of you guys. So proud. You're, let me tell you something. Your life will never be the same after today. You got it? Come on up because you got so many people behind you. Keep coming. Move forward as far as you can. Move forward as far as you can. Come on. I really, I promise I do not bite. I, I won't even spit on you, I promise. Come on up, there's a lot of room right here. You got so many people behind you. Look up, look, look at me, every single, look at me. Why do you have these sad looks on your face? I mean, have you ever seen a bride coming down now? Go, ah! This is the greatest day of your life. Do you understand that? It's the greatest day of your life. Because you're about to become a princess. Did you know that? A princess of the king of the universe. Did you know that? You're about to become a princess today. A prince. Did you know that? If you could see Jesus right now, he's so happy because of you. They're having a party in heaven because of you. See, I know a lot of us today, our, our, our idea of God is so tainted because we've had such a struggle with maybe our earthly fathers. He's nothing like the disappointment you knew with your earthly father. Now, if you're sitting out there and you'd say, hey, John, I am a believer, but I have not been chasing after holiness, and I'm making that a commitment today, I want you to stand up right now, too. Stand up right with these guys. Stand up if that's you. All right, can we pray? Let, matter of fact, let me ask everybody to stand up, because I believe the presence of God is about to come in here in a powerful way. Can you close your eyes, please? Why, why am I asking you to do this? Because I, I don't want you distracted. And I want you to put up your hands. Why am I putting my hands in the air? Because it's an outward sign of what you've done inwardly. It's an outward sign. I'm surrendering everything to you. Let me tell you, he put up his hands for you, but he did it involuntarily. They were nailed on a tree. So I think you can put up your hands right now. And you can say, I'm voluntarily giving my life to you. Okay, now, do you see him? I want you to open the eyes of your heart. Your physical eyes are closed because I want you to open the eyes of your heart. I'm gonna ask the Holy Spirit to manifest his presence. The 
presence of Jesus. Spirit of the Lord God, Master, manifest the presence of Jesus in our midst. Touch these men and women deeply. Give us a glimpse of the joy of our Master. There's his presence right there. He's here. I wanted you to experience this before you even prayed. I want you to see how delighted he is in what you have decided. There's his presence right there, right there, right there, right there. Oh, so strong right now. There he is. you to speak to the one you're beholding. See his eyes? He's not, he's not angry. See his face? He's delighted. His delight is because of you. There's his presence right there, right there, right there. Now speak to the one you're beholding. Say this out loud. Dear Lord, forgive me for not giving you my all, for living my way apart from you. But today, March the 3rd, 2024, I give you my spirit, soul, and body, everything I am everything I have. I give it all to you, Jesus. You are now my Lord. I repent of flirting with that that you died to set me free from. No longer will I do this. But I choose to pursue holiness, to be to pursue a behavior befitting position you've brought me into. I'm now a son of God or a daughter of God. Say it. I'm now. Say it out loud. A daughter or a son of God, whatever one fits. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Now I'm asking you to fill me with the Holy Spirit of the fear of the Lord. I want to delight in holy fear the way you delight in it, Jesus. It is a treasure, and I cry out to know the holy fear of God in Jesus' name. Now I want you to give him praise for what he's done. Give him praise. All right, I want you to be honest. I don't want you to lie to me. Don't lie to me. How many of you how many of you could sense his presence? Let me see a show of hands. Okay, that is God saying, you're my children. Don't you dare let the devil tell you nothing happened. Tell him to shut up, okay? You 
tell them to shut up in that tone of voice. You got it? Okay. Hey, the book, I know there's gonna probably be a line, it happens where we go, but listen, y'all are prime members. Right now the book is actually cheaper on Amazon than we have it out there. So just hit the button on your thing and get it to your door because I got about three chapters out. You need the rest of this to solidify what God did in your heart. I also wanna say, please do a group study. All right, this is individual or group, but do a group. Let's stop the bleeding. Let's stop the people walking away from the faith, amen? There is a brand new book that came out last week called Everyday Courage. This is a devotional. This is 50 devotions. I believe we need courage in a time of craziness in our society, amen? I love you all so very much. God bless you. Pastor Ashley, it's all yours. Wow, thank you, John. Can we get up for John, just the revelation that he unpacked? We're so thankful for the rich deposit. You know, I just want to say as one of your pastors, for those who responded down here at the altar, I just want to say how proud of you that I am. It is no small thing for you to make a decision to follow after Jesus with all of your heart. Whether it's your very first time you gave your life to Christ or you recommitted today, that is a big deal. The Spirit of God is on your life and on your heart right now. And there's some of you down here that today is the very first time that you made the most important decision in your life. And we really wanna intentionally connect with you right where you're at. In the, most, in the middle of the most important decision of your life, we want to meet you right there. So I'm gonna ask you to take a next step. For those of you who gave your life to Jesus for the very first time, or you've recommitted your life, you've walked away and you're like, how do I follow Jesus? We want to meet you right where you're at. My friend Abby is raising her hand over here and we'd love to talk with you, specifically pray with you, give you some resources. So those of you down here, if that's you, the next few minutes, if you can make your way to Pastor Abby over here, uh, if you're not going that way, go ahead and make room for people to come through and follow Abby. Abby, keep your hand up. She's right over here. We'd love to give you a resource and a tool to help you walk out the most important decision in your life. So go ahead and follow Pastor Abby over there. We're gonna connect with you. We'd love to pray with you. Church, can we give it up for these incredible decisions? Amazing, amazing, amazing. You know, some of you, I know that you have things that you need to get to. I wanna make sure you do that. But I wanna take the next few moments, moments. Our worship team is going to lead us into a song. And for those of you who have flexibility in your schedule, I just wanna respond to what the Holy Spirit is doing right now through worship. Your holy, Jesus holy, holy.
Spirit, there is nothing like your love. And I thank you that your presence is with us in this place and your presence is going with us everywhere we go. Thank you for being with us today and every day. Thank you for being a truth that we can cling to. God, we choose to build our life on you, our rock of salvation. In Jesus' name, God, solidify what you've done in this place and in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.